together with fellow believers, worshiping and giving thanks to Almighty God. The first part of our service today is centered around honoring our veterans. If you're a veteran this morning, and uh, we would like for you to go back into the foyer area because in just a moment, our veterans are going to be marching in. And we would love for you to be a part of that. So out in the foyer, if you would head that direction, and if you would prefer, after they're all right in front of us, if you would like to come up and stand with them, we would certainly appreciate that as well. If you're a guest today for the very first time, there's a guest card in the pew in front of you. We'd love for you to take the opportunity to fill that out in its entirety. And when you leave today, just drop it in one of our offering boxes uh, so that we can acknowledge your being with us today. If you would, I'd like to ask you to stand, please. would please be seated except for those of our veterans that are before us and if you're a veteran and out in the congregation as we continue we would love for you to come and to stand with these men and women the writer Michelle de Montigue once said valor is stability not of legs and arms but of courage and soul. We're here today to honor our veterans, to honor our heroes, 
to remember their achievements and courage and their dedication. In addition to that, we've come to say thank you. It seems like that the word thank you is not enough with all the sacrifice that you've given. And yet, that's exactly what we've come to do today. Thinking of our heroes that are in our congregation today, this, this morning, and also those of our veterans who are here only in spirit. A person can't help but feel awed by the enormity of the sacrifice and the care that we encounter today. There's not a one of us that could really understand all of the experiences that these men and women have had over the course of their service. And I believe that as we are in the midst of patriots and their families and their friends, that we should understand that we stand before those who have nobly served, that have put their lives on the line, that have been all over the world. Today we're honoring these service members, veterans, who has, uh, are standing before you, and I would just ask you at this moment if you would just show them your appreciation. We have veterans who have gone on to be with the Lord, but they have spouses who are here. I would like to ask those spouses of veterans who are in our congregation if you would stand, please. tell you that um, and I was speaking with someone earlier that the families and the spouses of veterans who have gone far and wide for an extended period of time it is hard as you keep the home fires and the kids being raised and whatever other work that you accomplished and it is deeply appreciated and in addition I would like to recognize any family members of any service members that are here if you would stand other family members if you would yeah. <laughs> those in the congregation you can be seated but i do want you to understand that let me tell you there's a, there is a lot of impact Throughout the scriptures, in the Old Testament in particular, there is a focus upon taking care of the people of Israel. And when it was needed to call members together to protect what God had set apart. I want to thank each and every one of these that are standing in front of us for answering the call to duty. You, uh, in your service, at whatever time frame, you've helped to make our armed forces one of the most respected in the world. The service members we honor today, you all came from different walks of life, but you shared some very fundamental characteristics and qualities. 
You possess courage and pride, determination, selflessness, dedication of duty and integrity. And all those qualities were needed to serve a cause greater than yourselves. You're men and women that are ordinary men and women, and yet you served in extraordinary ways in extreme circumstances. You rose to the nation's call. You had a desire to help protect this nation and answered the nation's call to duty at that particular time. Millions of Americans have fought and died in battlefields both here and abroad. They did that to defend the freedoms that we experience here in, in America and also our way of life. Today, we still have troops that continue to make the ultimate sacrifice, serving far and wide currently, allowing us to have the protective freedoms of freedom of worship as we are doing today, and we appreciate that. It's interesting that and the tragedy and the gravity of the loss of troops that we still experience, there are still men and women who stand up and volunteer and say, I'm ready to serve. And they do that, I believe, because they follow in the footsteps of generations of Americans who have gone before them that showed them what sacrifice is all about. So today and on November 11th, People throughout this country are going to gather together and they're going to remember, they're going to honor, and they're going to say their gratitudes to each of you and so many others who have served. And our being a part of this is like a small, a small fire that comes together with a larger bonfire to say thank you. Thank you for your service. We have a very small token of appreciation, but it's one that is meant from the depths of our heart. It says, thank you, because you've encouraged us, and you've given so much. If I could, thank you. The small token of our appreciation for each one of our service members, our veterans, we have a medallion that speaks volumes concerning how we feel about each one of you. Thank you.
It's a great group of folks, isn't it? <laughs> would, you, uh, would you stand and give them the honor, please? So I pray this prayer. I hope that all of you will be praying for our veterans, both those here and across our nation this week. Let's bow together. Almighty Father, you know each veteran, man and woman, across this country by name. You know their deeds. You know their sacrifices. You know their hard work. You know that many of them put their lives in danger because we love this country and they love this country enough that they were willing to go when asked to go. They volunteered to go when we had to volunteer services. Thank for every man and woman that are standing here. And I thank you not only that they are standing here, but they are standing here in a church home because they have not only believed that our country is a great place to live, and we enjoy its freedoms, but they also believe that there is a Lord and Savior who gives freedom from sin, who gives new life, 
and offers heaven for those who trust in him. And these veterans stand here as a witness of the fact that not only are they lovers of the country, they are lovers of their Savior. May you watch over them. May you care for them. Father, you know their needs, both physical and spiritual. Meet those needs through their Savior, Christ. Give them the peace that comes from knowing Jesus. Give them the knowledge that one day, having fought for this country, having served this country, they shall go to a country where there is no more fighting, no more arguing, no more tears, no more death, because the former things have passed away and they will be in a place where it is peace forevermore. Bless them, care for them, watch over them, and we as a church give you thanks for their service. In Christ's name I pray it. Amen. Congregation, you may be seated. As the veterans make their way back to be seated, let's continue singing God of our fathers, whose almighty hand. the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me.
Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we begin today by giving you thanks. Your love endures forever. It never fails. As we open the service today, let us make a joyful noise to you. We pray that we would hear your voice. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work, opening our ears to hear and our hearts to receive your word. May we be transformed into your likeness. In Jesus Christ, amen. Good morning. Our scripture reading today is Psalm 103. Please follow along in the Pew Bible or on the screen. 
Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth will be renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our inequities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you, his servants, who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. These, These are, are the, the words, words of, of the, the Lord. Lord.
Thank you, choir. Mr. Rima, thank you so much for the 103rd Psalm. The 103rd Psalm is probably one of the greatest hymns of all the ages. As we heard and as we read on the screen, that psalm gives praise to Almighty God consistently through the entirety of it. It's probably one of the most beautiful and wonderful treasures of the Old Testament. Within that psalm, you find that there is no prayer, there is no supplication, there is no word of complaint. It is all pure praise. If you were blessed to be here last Sunday night, you know the entirety of praise. What we heard through the music of the three choirs and the congregational singing was giving praise to Almighty God. That's exactly what this psalmist is striving to do. And in that very first section of verses, of verses 1 through 5, there is an expression of praise by the psalmist for personal blessings. I think that this hymn resonates specifically out of the heart and soul of David. I believe that it comes from one who has a knowledge of God and an experience with God. He has been through many things, good and bad, of his own making and then through just the course of life, and yet he's experienced the blessings and the anointing of God. Here we find it grows out of a of, a, of his personal experience, a deep sense of gratitude to God for everything that has happened to him. Deep gratitude because he has been forgiven of all of his sins. Gratitude because once God forgave him, they were gone, eliminated. Gratitude because he had delivered him from some kind of sickness or a threatening to his own life. In fact, when I read into this psalm, is I find that he has almost been to death's door and back in recovery, and what he can do is praise God for that. And some of you know that. Some of you have experienced that. You've been to the very depths of despair or discouragement or illness or life being threatened and somehow God brought you back through that, and your praise was to him because it was not on your own abilities. So he began the psalm, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So what are the benefits that the psalmist is talking about? I think in verses 3 through 5, you're going to find five verbs that are very important. The scripture says, who forgives all of your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with life and com love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Did you catch those five verbs? Forgives, heals, redeems, crowns, and satisfies. Those five verbs verbs are things that David is saying here is what God has done for me he has forgiven me he has healed me he has redeemed me he has given me that crown and he satisfies the crown of love as we move to the second section verses 6 through 19 we find that not only did David before praise for the personal benefits 
But now he praises God for his eternal grace. Here the psalmist had had a personal experience, and in the midst of this, he, he is reflecting on God's grace to him. And it's like he pivots, in, almost like going back to a historical document, which David understood well, and he talks about not only what God has done for him, but what he did to the people of Israel through the leadership of Moses. What a transition here. Almost instantly like he was back in the day of Moses and remembering that they went through that exodus. They went through that long 40 years in the wilderness, finally moving into the promised land and saw God's loving hand through all of those 40 years, even though the Israelites didn't deserve a lot. (laughs) And Moses, willing to be faithful through all of those years. And what he saw here is God's loving hand for his people that he could move forward with the ultimate purpose of his people being in the land of promise. The opening and closing verses of that section, verse 19 and verse uh, 6 and verse 19, we find that uh, he talks about and stresses the universality of God's grace. We find the universality of God's benefits, his love, and his rule. The psalmist saw that God did through Moses, and he saw what he did to Israel. And he saw all of that as typical of how God treats people. He treats people with grace. Yes, without a doubt, there is that understanding of the righteousness and justice, as the Scripture mentions here. And the Israelites faced that. But it was a beautiful picture to everyone in the world to say look how how god dealt with these people who were rebellious and yet he did not eliminate them he encouraged them because he saw the future and future generations and how moses and through moses god made known his steadfast love to all people because moses expressed his love frustration absolutely but his love because he maintained the course for 40 years, guiding the people through the most difficult wilderness days of life. I believe that God's dealings with Israel shows us that in verse 8 that he is slow to anger, and then again in verse 9 that he's quick to forgive. And he punishes less than we deserve. Look at what verse 10 says. He says, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Isn't that interesting? Even when we have sinned against God and we have rebelled against him, he's slow to anger. Justice will prevail. Consequences will come. But then we find that he's quick to forgive. And he doesn't repay us. And what we deserve. I am thankful for that myself because I know that when I can go to God and sincerely and genuinely repent of my sin and confess it, that He is going to eliminate it and it's gone. It is gone forever. It's not coming back to haunt me. This whole psalm is all pure praise and it addresses four areas that His followers have benefits. Let me talk about those four four, uh, areas of benefits. First of all, we are beneficiaries of God's love. 
Here he gives four illustrations of God's love and grace that follow verse 10. These show us the four dimensions of his love, is the height, the breadth, the depth, and the length of his love. First, we look at the height. He said in verse 11, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. That word fear means to respect, to be in awe of him. Here the psalmist, he had no idea how far the heavens were above the earth no idea all he could do was look up in the sky with his naked eye and just imagine that the vastness and how god's love could not even be contained in the vastness that he saw <coughs> we know so much more about the vastness of god's universe in our day than the psalmist the farthest object which is actually a galaxy that we know of today with our technology, is 13, somewhere between 13.4 and 13.7 billion light years away. A light year, well, let's just talk about that. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. And so if you were able to travel 186,000 miles per second, it would take you, at that speed, 13.4 billion years to get to the farthest object that we know of. And most likely, it goes well beyond that. For us, we should be able to say the vastness, the height of God's grace and his love is immeasurable. Mercy. We come back and we reflect on the second benefit. It is the breadth of his love. The benefit of God's love, we see how high it is to inf an infinite degree. But now how about the breadth? He says in verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. While the psalmist did not know how far the heavens were above the earth, neither did he know how far the east is from the west. I want you to really look at the greatness of this promise from God. God does not promise to remove our sins as far as the north is to the south. Isn't that interesting? Why is that? Well, if you look at the planet Earth, which is what the psalmist is considering, you can start, and we have a north pole and a south pole. And you can go as far as north as you want, and you hit the north pole, and that's exciting, but somewhere along the line, you're going to be moving the other direction, and where are you going? you're going south and so you're always either going north or south you can come to a dead end and move forward it's interesting it's not that way east and west because you begin traveling in an easterly direction and you will never cease to finish east if you go on the the western direction and you go as far as you can you continue to go west, go west. What the psalmist is trying to get across and communicate is, listen, when I forgive your sins, they're as far as the east is from the west. They will never be found. They are infinite. They are gone. You don't ever have to bring them back in. Third is the depth, the depth of his love. 
In verse 13, he said, As the Father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. We may not understand the height of the heavens from earth, and we may not completely understand how far the east is from the west, but we do understand the compassion of a father. And we may not have an understanding of it in its, in its perfect state until we get to talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, the, the, the parable that he spoke of concerning the prodigal son. But God's love is like a father who loves his children. And that's what he says. A father has compassion on his children. That idea of compassion basically means... I will hurt when you hurt, and I will laugh when you laugh, and I will do everything I possibly can, even to the point of giving my life, to make sure that you are taken care of. That is a powerful statement to the, the depth. What about the, uh, what about the length? The extent of God's love is even more remarkable than the light the fact that God knows in light of, of our frame, our form, how he created us. Because you think about this in the length of our time. God says, I know that you're dust. If you look at verses 14 through 16, he paints this picture of something that is fleeting, that is quickly falling by the way. And in the midst of that, he says, I remember that you are dust. And he goes on to say, we're like grass that grows and it withers. We're like the flowers of the field that blossoms and they fade. And in time, verse 16 says, it's gone and it's almost as if we had never existed. Huh. So he remembers that. He remembers that we're dust. But his love is not diminished by the fact that our days are numbered. He doesn't look at us and say, well, their length of time is like this, so I'm only going to love them this much. No, his love is the full length. It is complete. Against the uh, temporal human life, here the psalmist contrasts it with God's eternity, the eternity of God. God recognizes that we're frail that we're weak, but he bestows a fatherly love in the midst of our weakness. He sees that we are here for a moment, but he captures that moment for eternity with the expression of his love. So we're dust, we're grass, we're flowers, but the Father's love is shown from generation to generation. In fact, verse 17 says, everlasting to everlasting we come and go but his love is constant he loves us to the very heights the breadth the depth and the length his forgiveness and love for such insignificant creatures like we are the psalmist even said what is man that you would take thought of him insignificant and yet, it leads to this universal adoration on our part for a God who loves 
us. Think of it. The height of God's love is high as the heavens above the earth. <laughs> the breadth of God's love as far as the east is from the west. The depth of God's love is like a father's compassion for his children. And the length of God's love is everlasting to everlasting. The days do not stop. The benefit that we have is God's love, described in four illustrations. The second benefit that we have is complete forgiveness. Here we find that God offers complete forgiveness. It's not partial in any way. It's not based upon our works. The Lord forgives all of our sins, all of our iniquities, the Scripture says. He has not dealt with us according to our sins because that would be strict justice and that would be elimination, but He has offered life everlasting. He has given us the ability have our sins eliminated as far as the east is from the west. He has removed those transgressions from us. These verses show how completely he has dealt with our sin. Not partially, completely. You see, with forgiveness of sins comes the deliverance of guilt from our sin. Also, the forgiveness of sin gives us that sense of peace and inner peace that many do not know or understand. If the world could grasp, I think, this truth of God's love, God's complete forgiveness, it would mean more for the health and the healing of humanity than anything else I would know. To have that realization and understanding that I am forgiven. The seven-year-old girl taking sermon notes on a sermon called uh, uh, How to Be a Christian, one of the steps that she listed she wrote, throw away your sins. <laughs> I think it has the same idea as Corey Ten Boom said in one of her speeches. Throw your sins into the middle of the sea and put up a sign that says no fishing. We can't go back and retrieve them. Now Satan would like us to. He would love for us whispering in our ear to say, don't you remember what you did last week or last month or back in the past? Don't you remember that? And he brings it back into your mind, and if it, it can consume you to the point that where he's able to put you off to the side, to be a spectator rather than engaged in his kingdom's work to the fullest. But God says, no, stop fishing. Let it go, because it's gone as far as the east is from the west. Now, technically, we cannot throw our sins, but God can. Micah 7, 19 he focuses and promised to cast out our sins into the depths of the sea. That's what he says, that he will do that. One of the deepest points in the ocean is the uh, Mariana Trench, located in the Pacific Ocean. It goes down somewhere around 36,198 feet, a little farther than I can dive. Well, I don't dive, but anyway, that's... <laughs> That is almost seven miles. That is 27 Empire State Buildings, one on top of the other. That's how deep that is. The highest point on the earth is Mount Everest at 29,028 feet. So it tells us that the deepest point of the ocean goes farther into the heart of the earth than the highest mountain reaches to the sky. And that gives us an inkling of how far the Lord cast out our sin from us when he forgives us. 
when you begin to think about praising God like the psalmist is doing, just praising God for his benefits, don't forget the benefit of complete forgiveness. Let it go completely because he has forgiven you. The third benefit is God's constant companionship. Over almost 40 years of pastoral ministry, I have been with a lot of people who have lost loved ones, and some of you. And as we focus our attention upon the grief, the heartache, and the missing, almost every time through that whole process, what I find is that the folks who have gone through the most difficult losses have been the greatest encouragement to me. Because most of the time, what I hear from them in this process is I am feeling the pain and the loss, and it hurts. But the Lord is with me. The companion is with me and will make it. A companion to hold our hand, we all need that. Someone to walk us through some of the most difficult times. Sam Shoemaker put it this way, everybody has a problem, is a problem, or lives with a problem. <laughs> but listen, in the problems of life, we need a companion to hold our hand. And that's one of the benefits that God gives us. He gives us that benefit. We're never by ourselves going through those difficult times. David had that companion when he walked through the valley of the shadow of death. The three Hebrew children, they sensed the presence of that companion holding their hand as they were cast into the fiery furnace. The apostle Paul wrote concerning his first appearance before the tribunal, Caesar, the emperor. He wrote this in 2 Timothy 4. He said, nobody stood with me, all men forsake me and then he added except the Lord stood with me and strengthened me and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion the one that you can always count on to be with you in those difficult times of life who will constantly be there is your friend the one who loves you that's given you complete forgiveness he is your companion jesus spoke about that companion in john 14 16 when he said i asked the father and he will send you another counselor who will be with you forever that counselor that comforter that friend you see god is committed to watching over us but he's not going to be overly protective because he doesn't want to smother us in our spiritual growth. He does not want to save us from the experiences, the difficult experiences of life. Because that's how we grow. But he's always by our side, holding our hand, our companion, to encourage us every step along the way. Paul speaks of the Lord in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 7, as the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. 
The Greek word for comfort is paraklino. It means to be called alongside of. It describes the companion that we all need. The God of all comfort is the one who comes by our side in the times of celebration, but we sense him to even a greater degree in our times of discouragement and despair when we're facing the world and we seem to be crumbling and yet we realize he's by our side. It's all going to be okay. Not easy, not smooth, but it's going to be okay because the comforter is called alongside to help us. Listen, we have no idea what's going to happen in the future days of our lives, but there's one thing that we know won't happen. We will not ever have to walk through these experiences alone. That is a promise that God gives us. We'll always have that companion to walk with us, to hold our hand, and that is one of the great benefits of the Lord. The fourth and last benefit is God's certain hope. God gives us this idea, this reality, that this world is not it, that there's a greater world to come. That when we come to the place where we are facing death, that we have life everlasting if we have a personal relationship with Christ. Now, I know there will be some that will say, don't even talk to me about the pie in the sky and the by and the by. I'm interested in the chicken in the kitchen tonight. I want the ham where I am today <laughs> that is our instant society give it to me now but you see we had better be interested in the life to come whenever our path when it takes us where it ultimately leads us I promise you it's ultimately going to lead you to death, to the grave. In 50 years, most likely, there will not be one of us here that's not gone. I don't care if it's a person that, and it's really not relevant here, but I've known people who were born in a community, they lived in that community their whole life, and they died in that community. It could be that person, or it could be a person that has set their foot on the moon. The bottom line is that every one of us, we're still going to die. The grave is waiting for us. Medical science may prolong life. In fact, it might even improve the quality of life. But ultimately, every patient is going to die. The psalmist is reminding us that God knows our frailties. He said, you are dust, you are a flower, you are a piece of grass. It's going to flourish and it's going to be gone. So think about everlasting life. Look at the benefit of what God has for us. See, we have a certain hope. Not a hope like I wish, but it's a hope with determination to say, God has promised me that I will spend eternity for him forever. Verse 14, 
he remembers that we're dust. It would be helpful if we would remember that. <laughs> It'd be helpful because it would keep us from trying to be perfectionists. It would deliver us from driving ourselves into the ground trying to achieve. Because we're not super people. <laughs> it would save us from anchoring ourselves too much into this world. Because life is passing by. And nobody knows that better than we do here. We're dust. He says, our days are like grass. We're like the daisies of the field. We're not going to be there any longer. But that certain hope allows us to look at the future regardless of it with a smile on our face. A longtime pastor, uh, Dr. Morris Ford, when it came to his time of death, he, he said, death is the least of my worries. It will be the greatest event of my life. And we look back on life and we look at the high points and the great things that were done and where we felt the very best. Here's a man that said, death is going to be the greatest event of my life. Why is that? Because I'm leaving this world behind and all the sorrows and all the, the heartaches. And I'm going to a place where there's no more tears. There's no more pain. There's no more sorrow. There's no more death. Satan is not going to be there. Sin is not going to be a temptation. No wonder he could save that. benefits that he gives us his love his complete forgiveness his companionship and the certain hope of eternity with him that's why the psalmist through this psalm could sing praise the lord oh my soul and all that is within me and i wonder today is that the one that you're hoping on is that the one that you love? Is that the one who's given you life everlasting? I hope so. Because you have that certain hope. And during our invitation this morning, if he isn't that to you, then today could be a day that you could give your life to Christ. But I'm going to ask believers who are here, which is the majority of us, to say, let's recognize the benefits let's embrace those benefits let's not be fearful let's not be afraid of what the future holds let's remember that god has us in his hand and he will take care of us even in the most difficult times he promises and god never breaks a promise Father, as we move to our time of invitation, I pray that you will give us understanding this morning about your great benefits. We sing with the psalmist, and God, we're here to praise you. And through what your word says, it gives us great encouragement. And in our time of invitation this morning, Lord, the most important thing is for us to have and be at peace with you. So whatever that takes for us, for believers, it's been a time rededicating or recommitting ourselves to you and saying, you know, Lord, we're going to pay more attention to these benefits. 
For the ones here that don't have a relationship with Christ, that today you might say, okay, I want that, and I want Jesus. And for those that, Father, they're ready to come and to be a part of this fellowship so that together, in hand in hand, we can look to the future together in the realm of ministry and fellowship. Lord, we encourage those to make them those decisions. So, in this invitation, as we sing, speak to our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand? Let's sing our invitation hymn. be seated. I've seen many of you bring in your filled Operation Christmas Child boxes this morning. If you did not bring it, you have one more week. Those need to be returned by next Sunday. And we have a very brief video to view showing some children receiving those boxes. So let's view that now. Mi nombre es Romina Alejandra Ruiz Aragón. Yo tengo 12 años y me gusta mucho dibujar y cocinar. Un día yo estaba dibujando y quería unos marcadores y le pregunté a mi mamá si me podía comprar, pero ella dijo que no podía porque no tenía dinero. Hoy nos dieron unas cajas y eso me hizo sentir muy emocionada. Cuando abrí la caja y vi que tenían estos marcadores, me sentí muy emocionada porque vinieron cosas que yo nunca pude tener, pero ahora, gracias a Dios, tengo. Yo aprendí de Dios a través de la cajita. Oré hoy para que Jesús entrara en mi corazón. Y estoy muy agradecida con todos, con Dios, con ustedes por traerme esta cajita. you to be a part of that. Don't forget to bring your box next week.
And we have today and next Sunday to buy your tickets for the Thanksgiving Missions Awareness Banquet. That will be on Wednesday evening at 5 o'clock, November 17th in our CLC. I hope that you are planning to come and you will need to purchase a ticket. Those are $15 each. Dr. David Johnson will be our guest speaker. There will be some members of the His Messengers Gospel Singing Group bringing entertainment and a wonderful traditional Thanksgiving meal. So you do not want to miss that. But we do need you to purchase a ticket so that we can plan for you to come. Those are all the announcements that I have. The 103rd Psalm gives a wonderful way for us to end our service today. As you look at verses 20 through 22, praise the Lord, you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding. You obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly host. You, his servants, who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. He speaks the entirety of his created universe to praise him. I'd like to ask you to stand. This morning we're going to sing our doxology, and I'm going to ask you to sing it with praise in your heart.